0: So something that Doug and I love to do with our kids, and we do this all the time, is we sit and we look through photos of when they were little. Um, Not with printed out photos, but on the computer. We scroll through photos of when the kids were little. And this goes to show you how different men and women are, because through this entire time, Doug is laughing, and he's smiling, and I'm weeping. I have tears pouring down my face just seeing the kids when they were so little and how fast time goes. Can any moms relate to that? Because Doug thinks I'm strange, but there's an ache in my heart when I see my kids little and this time is just going so fast. But one of the things that we noticed recently as we were looking through these photos is how many photos we have of our kids dressed up as superheroes. And it probably started when they were about a year old, but there are numerous pictures of them when they were superheroes. I'm going to show you just a few. We have a ton. Okay, so this is all three of them. We got Wonder Woman or Supergirl. I don't, Bob the Builder, I guess. I don't know if that's, if that's a superhero. And uh, I think Anakin's in the middle. We have Batman. We have Iron Girl. <laughs> Buzz Lightyear. That's Iron Man again, but with homemade, he, he made them, his little things. Uh, Clark Kent. I mean, come on. That's Kane. That's the Hulk with a great face. Uh, we got Spider-Man, Supergirl again. I mean, there are just so many of them. Ninja Turtle in there. Let's see what else we got. Oh, we have a princess and Spider-Man. This is Ian and Cade when they were little. How cute is that? Cousins who are superheroes together. Vin and little Superman. <laughs> Woody. But well, we have a lot of pictures. This is just a big, Okay, now let's stop on this one for a second. This is, I don't even know how, Hulk, Spider-Bat-Man, something. <laughs> now, we have a couple of pictures of the boys like this, and I think the reason that they do this is because they can't decide who their favorite superhero is. It's always changing. The other day, they actually asked me to Google who is the superhero to beat all other superheroes. And I'm sure you guys all have your own opinion on this, but I could not find a good answer because everyone has their own superhero who they love and think that they are the best. Now, for me, I don't have any doubt who my favorite superhero is. It is, hands down, without a doubt, Captain America. Uh, I don't know if you saw the movie, but I love Captain America. And but what I love about Captain America, the scenes that are my favorite, are the parts where before he gets biochemically turned into a superhero, when he's just this skinny, scrawny, um, weakling, but he is at the same time a hero. And the best part of the whole movie is they're doing a test to see who has the heart of a superhero. Who are they going to take from an ordinary man and turn him into a hero? And they pull the pin of a grenade and they throw it in the midst of this troop of tough guys. And they all run away. Except, not, except for Captain America. Captain America... Steve Rogers throws himself on the grenade to protect everyone around him, to save them, to rescue their lives. Now, he didn't know that the grenade wasn't loaded, but he was willing to risk their, his, their life, his life for them. And don't we all just love a good rescue story? Um, my grandfather passed away when I was about 18 years old, and my grandfather was a hero, and he really he was a humble hero. Uh, we knew before he passed away that he had gotten a Purple Heart for being in World War II, and what he did was he volunteered for a rescue mission that was dangerous that nobody else wanted to go on, and he was injured on that mission. But what we didn't know, what we didn't find out until after he had died, as my mom is going through his stuff, is a newspaper article that was all about him that he was the hero in this article because one night coming up on a bridge he sees a car that is just engulfed in flames and there are people trapped inside this car and my grandfather by himself pulled probably three or four people out of this burning car and saved their life. Amazing rescue story. I heard of a story this week in the news, um, and this one blows me away. This one is hard for me to even wrap my mind around. Um, It's about a man named Bilal, and we have his picture. This is Bilal. Bilal is a convicted killer, convicted of killing an 18-year-old. And on the side of him are the parents of the person that he killed, okay? Now, as they put the noose around his neck and they put the blindfold over his eyes, the parents have the right to kick the chair out from underneath Belel and send him to his death. But that is not what happens. Instead of kicking the chair out, the mother of the victim turns to him, and first she slaps him, which I'm glad she did because she's a mother. But then she said, I forgive you. And then helped the father take off his blindfold and take off his noose. And the mother of Belel the convicted killer, ran, hugged, and embraced that woman who had just saved her son, and they sat there weeping together. Incredible story. Captain America, my grandfather, I'm sure you guys have many stories that you can tell me of incredible rescues. But here is the truth. There is no rescue story as good and as amazing that is the rescue story that is the gospel. That Jesus came on a rescue mission for lost people to come and be our substitute. And our substitute simply means that he took our place, our punishment, our sin, and our death on himself. You see, unlike Belial that we saw, Jesus didn't just take the noose off of our neck. You see, that wouldn't have been just. And maybe that's what some of you were even thinking as you heard that story. Now he didn't just take the noose off and say, go, go free. Instead, in essence, he took the noose and put it on himself. And he died in our place, taking our punishment and our sin. And unlike Captain America, although it's not a real story, it wasn't just a test. See, Jesus knew full well. He knew fully the pain that he would endure. He threw his body to be beaten, to be bruised, and to be crucified on our behalf. There is no greater rescue story than the gospel. Last week at Collision, Doug started this message series called Redeemed. And I have to say, this was an unbelievable message. If you didn't hear it, please listen to it. I'm not just saying that because he's really good looking, which he is. I'm his wife, in case anyone doesn't get that. It really really was an incredible, incredible message, and you need to listen to it. But here is the gist, here's the truth. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, then you have been redeemed. Like we saw in the video, we have been bought back, we were paid for with a price. But it wasn't nickels and quarters. It was the precious blood of God's own son for us. But the thing is that we are not just redeemed from something. Although that in itself is amazing. Doug talked about that we've been redeemed from death and hell and sin. And the enemy that was pounding down at our feet ready to destroy us. What we're going to look at today is that we're also redeemed to something. You see, because redemption is two-sided. It's from? And then it's also two. And today we're going to see what it is that we've been redeemed to, and it is amazing. Whether you're here today and you are a new Christian, or you've been a Christian for a long time, or you're here today and you are not even sure that you would call yourself a Christian, this is a message that we all need to hear. If you're not a Christian, maybe you came in here today with the mindset that being a Christian is about what you do, that it's about following rules, that it's about being a good enough person To earn salvation. But if you understand what it means that you have been redeemed, then you will see that it has nothing to do with what you have done, but it has everything to do with what Jesus has done for you, if you will accept that. You know, much of the world hates Christianity, they despise Christians, and it is getting worse and worse. But here is what I think is true that if they could understand, that the basis of our salvation is redemption and grace, that their mindsets would begin to change because they have that view that it's about what we do, that it's about following rules, that it's about being a really good person. If you're here today and you are a Christian and this message is so important for us to hear and to remind ourselves of often because although you may say, look, I know I've been redeemed. I've heard that since I was in Sunday school. I've sang the songs. I know the words. So often we live like we have forgotten this, that we know it in our heads, but somehow it doesn't now come out in the way that we live. And some of the ways that this shows itself is that when we live under a crushing weight of guilt and condemnation, then we've forgotten what it actually means that we have been redeemed. When we let fear and anxiety control our hearts, control our lives, steal our peace, then we have forgotten What it means, what it actually means that we have been redeemed. When we become really comfortable in old sin patterns and we don't think and don't care much for our actions, then we have forgotten not only that we've been redeemed, but we've forgotten the cost to which we've been redeemed. Knowing that we have been redeemed from and also to changes everything for us. It changes the way that we live, it changes the way that we think about ourselves and about other people. It changes the way that we battle temptation. And it changes the way that we pray. See, knowing that you have redeemed has so much to do about the way that we approach God in prayer. And we're going to see how in a little while. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. Actually, we're going to be at the end of Galatians chapter 3 and the beginning of 4. See, because it's written as one letter. And there's a break there. That kind of wouldn't make sense if we started in four or we just ended in three. We need the complete picture. So we're going to be in both. Paul is the author of Galatians. And you know what? He is writing to a people who forgot. They forgot grace. They forgot what their salvation was all about. And they were trying to earn a place before God by the things that they were doing. And Paul is reminding them that we are saved by grace alone through faith in what Jesus has done. So we're going to pick up in Galatians chapter 3 verse 27. And it says this, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Before the resurrection, before Jesus came and died and, and was risen again, if you were not a male Jew, you had no access to God in any way. And even if you were a male Jew, but you were not a priest, there was restrictions on you of when you could approach God and how you could approach God. And I cannot imagine what it was like to live during that time. But now what Paul is saying, because of what Jesus has done, he has made a way for all of us to have complete access to God. Any time of the day or night, you and I are able to approach God through grace and he hears us. That is good news for us all here. That grace has put us all on equal grounds. And what unifies all of us in this room is that we were all at one time sinners in need of a Savior. See, there wasn't one of you that needed a Savior more than the other one. We all equally needed a Savior. We once belonged to sin. We were slaves to it. We could not free ourselves. And as Doug talked about in the last, redeemed, but we have been set free. That we are no longer a slave But you know what? He doesn't just leave us there. It's not just about being rescued and being set free, released from bondage to something. To something unbelievable. Verse 29 says this, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Being redeemed means that we are free from sin and from shame and from death and from the consequence of our sin, which is hell. But it also means we are now part of something. It means that we are now part of the family of God. That's what offspring in this verse means, that we've been given a place in God's family. And even though we can never do anything to earn or deserve that position, that is amazing grace right there. Did you see the difference just from not just being rescued something, but being rescued to something? I just want to try to give you an illustration. Imagine there was a child that was trapped in a gutter, covered in filth and dirt and bleeding and broken and unable to rescue themselves. And a king hears about this child. And so what the king does is the king sends his servant and says, there's a child trapped, go get him out and let him go free. And the servant does that, and that would be a good king. The people in the kingdom would say, wow, that's a good king. But you know what? That's not what was done for us. You see, our king left the kingdom himself. He didn't send a servant to come get us. And he climbed into the gutter of sin and death himself, and he pulled us out, and he cleansed us with his own blood. And then he didn't just say, okay, now go. He now takes us home to be part Of his family. Can we just stop there for a second and just think of how incredible and how amazing our God is? That we would go from enemies to family, and and here's the key, here's the point, by no doing of our own, but it gets better than that. We're not just part of his family. You know, we all have that weird distant cousin that nobody likes and nobody talks to. That's not what we become when we become part of the family of God. So now we're going over into chapter 4 and it says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now what on earth does that mean? (laughs) That all can be so confusing and my head was spinning as I studied these verses over the last few weeks. And what is being said is that Paul is comparing the law to a guardian. Now, earlier in the chapter, he compared it to a prison guard. Now, it's like, oh, well, you know, guardian doesn't sound as bad. But actually, it is because we need to understand the role of a guardian in Paul's time. And the role of a guardian was to hover over a child and demand his obedience. If obedience did not take place, that guardian had the right to remove his inheritance and also put him to death. And what Paul is saying is that this remained this way until a time, until an age appointed that the father said, okay, now that guardianship is going to be lifted off of you. So then that child no longer had this guardian that had his thumbprint down on him, demanding perfection and obedience. And in the same way, you and I were slaves to the law. The law was like a fierce, Guardian hovering over us, demanding perfection, demanding obedience, demanding what you and I could not ever fully do. And here comes the hope for us. Here comes the appointed time when we were made free, when that guardianship was lifted off of us. Verse four says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, here is the point of the message, here is the most important part, that we might receive adoption as sons. Here it is. We've been redeemed not to be slaves. We've been redeemed not even to be just a servant. We have been redeemed to be sons and daughters. To be children of God, all of us at one time had no hope and no future, but now we've been adopted. You know, adoption in its natural sense is costly. If you wanted to adopt a child, you would probably, an estimate would be somewhere around $30,000. That's just for the process of adoption. That has nothing to do with taking that child home and then raising that child and sending them to school and taking care of them. That is costly. That's costly. But here's the truth, that you and I cannot even begin to estimate the cost of our adoption. That Jesus, in our place, to make us his own, we sang, my strength in life is I am yours. We are able to say I am yours because such an incredible cost was paid for us. And like we said earlier, it was not with money. It was not with silver and gold. It was with the blood of Jesus. The amount that Jesus suffered in our place is equal to an eternity in hell. If you know Christ here today, then you are no longer a slave or an orphan. You've been adopted. Such an incredible and beautiful word for us as believers. Now the problem is this, is that the world, our own flesh, and the devil are trying to constantly convince us otherwise. He is trying to constantly convince us that either we're not saved or we're not really a loved child. You know, we hear things like, because of the circumstances that you're in in your life right now, then God really must not love you that much. Maybe you are saved, but you know what? You're not one of his precious children. Or maybe we hear things like, no, first you need to try harder and you need to do better and you need to stop this constant struggle. And then, and then, and then God will love you. Now, the good news is, is like everything else that we have in this Christian walk, we're not left on our own to be convinced of that. We're not left on our own to try to wrestle with those doubts and those thoughts. See, because we have the spirit of God in us that assures us, that tells us no matter what's going on on the outside, that you are indeed my child. Let's look at the next two verses. It says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Girls, Maybe you're thinking, am I even in that verse? Because he keeps saying sons over and over again. Is he not speaking to women? Oh, he absolutely is speaking to both men and women in these verses. Remember what we saw in the beginning, that there's no longer male or female. His audience was both. Now, here is what is so precious. Here is what is being said. Now, let me just say this. Some translators take this verse, and they take out sons, and they put in sons and daughters, and they take out Or they take out sons and they put in child instead. And that makes what Paul is saying lose its significance. And here is how. You see, sons in those days had more rights, more favor, more inheritance than the daughters did. It's sad, but it's true. And there's some cultures that are still like that today. Men were more favored Sons were more favored than the daughters were. But what Paul is saying in this verse, he's not saying simply that you are a son. He's saying that you and I, male or female, now have the rights as a son. So even though you are a daughter in Christ, you now have the very same rights. That sons do. And sons, you are now, have been made sons. You were not sons, but you've been made sons. And you have the very same rights. And what are those rights are? Those are the promises of God. Those are the things that you and I can take as we look through the word of God to draw encouragement from, to draw hope from, to fight sin with. These are all now ours because we have been adopted. Because we have been made his. No longer a slave. We now call him Abba. What does Abba mean? My son Landon is five, and he still calls me Mama and Doug Dada. And I think that is so cute, and I love it, and I don't really want it to change, but I know that someday it's going to have to change because if he, we drop him off at college and we're, like, leaving, and he's like, Bye, Mama. Bye, Dada. I don't think that the people in his dorm and the friends around him in college are going to think it's that cute. Why? Because it sounds babyish. Well, I think that sometimes that is our association when we hear the word Abba, that it's babyish, that it's baby talk. But what we see is that this is not baby talk. This is not about infancy. It's about intimacy. It's about closeness. It's about being close, going from formal to intimate. It's like you and I saying, my dad, my dad, not just a distant, harsh father, but my dad. And doesn't that change the way that you approach God when that is the way that you view him? You know, maybe you're here today and your view of God has not been as a loving father, but as a harsh, angry father who is disappointed in you, who you can never live up to. Maybe some of that has to do with your own experiences with a father growing up. Or maybe that's just because that's the way that you view yourself, but God is unlike any other earthly father or mother for that matter. I don't know if any of you remember this, but years ago, there was a story in the news about an American woman who adopted a Russian boy. And after adopting this boy, she found that he had some behavioral issues and he was difficult to handle. And it did not go how she pictured being a mother would be. So what she did next was unthinkable. She put this, I think he was about seven or eight years old boy, on a plane by himself with a one-way ticket back to Russia. And simply gave him a note to hand to whoever when he got off the plane. And the note said this, I no longer wish to parent this child. I no longer wish to parent this child. Those words, you will never ever hear Father God say to you. The whole world can disappoint you, reject you, and let you down, but he is completely committed to you and I until the end. And here's the good news is he knew full well the mess that we were. He knew full well what he was getting into. He knew the brokenness of our lives. That's why he sent his son. That's why he came to rescue. And knowing full well means that there is nothing that you and I can ever or have ever done if we know Christ that he will ever say those words to us. I will no longer wish to parent you. One of my favorite hymns says this, how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. You are deeply and greatly loved by a father who gave it all to make you his child. And so the question for us all is this. Tim Keller puts it perfectly. In all that I do, Am I acting like a slave who is afraid of God or like a child who is assured of my father's love? Am I acting like I've been adopted or am I acting still like an orphan, like a slave? There was a family that decided to adopt a little girl and they were really excited about it and they filled her closet with beautiful clothes and they bought beautiful bed and pillow for her that would be comfortable and they were so excited to get on a plane and go get her and when they got there what they found is that the child, the girl that they were adopting, she wore torn, dirty, ripped clothes and all she had to eat every day was stale bread and dirty water and at night she slept on a hard floor that She had a little, small, tattered, not very warm blanket with her, and so they took her home, and they put on these new clothes, and the first night, they tucked her into that comfortable bed, but the next morning, their hearts broke when they woke up to see that that little girl didn't sleep in her comfortable, soft bed. Instead, she slept on the floor because that's all she had ever known. And that little girl was not wearing the nice, clean, new pajamas that they had bought her. Instead, she had pulled her old, dirty pajamas out of the garbage and put those on instead. And the truth is, so often we are like this little girl. We have been provided for and given so much through Christ. And sometimes we choose not to live in the reality of now being sons and daughters. You see, when we wear guilt and shame and we walk around with that day in and day out, it's like we've pulled dirty clothes that are no longer ours out of the garbage and put them on instead. When we give over to fear and anxiety, then it's like we sleep on that hard floor and get no rest when we've been provided a bed of peace through what Jesus has done for us. When we choose Sin over Jesus, then it's like we say, Give me stale bread and give me dirty water. We ask for what will not satisfy us. You are no longer an orphan or a slave. You are a child of God bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Are we living in that reality? Just think about that for a minute. I think many of us are walking around carrying guilt and shame and it weighs on you and it torments your mind and it steals your peace when the truth is that you are free. That for the redeemed, there is now no condemnation. That you don't need to carry around the weight of those things anymore because every sin that you have committed, past, present, and future, was nailed to the cross. Remember, he took the noose off of you and put it on himself. Don't grab that noose and put that noose back on yourself. You are free from that. You know, so often with an incredible amount of shame and guilt comes self-hatred. You know, I think that that is maybe something that's not talked about much in church because it just sounds like a shocking statement. But I have talked to many people over the years who have said those same words to me. I just hate myself. I can't stand myself. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe it's because of the things that you've done like we've talked about or maybe it's because what was done to you or what was said to you or how you were treated by somebody or something about yourself that you just don't like. But there's a lot of redeemed children of God who are walking around going, I hate myself. I can't stand myself. But you know what? You don't have to hate yourself any longer. Every single guilt and shame and regret and any kind of self-hatred is broken by the costly redeeming blood of Jesus. He purchased you. You are valuable to him. There's no room for self-hatred in the life of a Christian. He is able to redeem every sin done by you and every sin done against you. He is able to take our tears, our pain, the brokenness of this life and redeem them all. You see, that's the amazing news is he doesn't just redeem us. He redeems everything that you will, I will ever face in this life from our first breath to our last. He will take what seems like a tragedy and turn it around in only the way that God can do and make it a blessing in our life. That is the hope of being a son and a daughter, that there is nothing wasted in his hands. Some of you are trying to get through life daily, in and out, dealing with overwhelming fear and anxiety. And I'm going to say this as somebody who has dealt and battled with fear over the years, many, 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 many years ago, fear was something that had an incredible hold on me. When we give in to fear, what we are doing is we are doubting the faithfulness of God and we are doubting all that He has promised to be for us. See, the question is do we really believe that when He says, Your life is in my hands and nothing and no one can pluck you out, do we believe that? Or do we choose to live in fear? See our adoption is the proof that he is going to fulfill those promises to you and I instead of letting fear and anxiety rule our hearts and what do we do See what we find in scripture is the great exchange and the great exchange is this my anxiety my fear for his perfect peace that we are to bring those very real things that weigh on our hearts and minds and we lay them down before our father but here's the thing is you have to know that you are a son or daughter Because if you're going to him thinking that he is a taskmaster and he is angry and he is disappointed, that is going to affect the way and also how often we go and ask him for things. Many years ago, I worked as a dental assistant for the meanest dentist that has ever lived. Actually, no, no, let me rephrase that. For the meanest man. That has ever lived. I was afraid of this man. He would scream and berate all of his employees on a daily basis. Can you imagine trying to put dental tools in somebody's mouth when you're literally shaking in fear that he's going to scream at you if you do it wrong? Well, that was my experience with him. Until one day, in a very dramatic fashion, I ripped off my lab coat and I never went back again. One of the best decisions of my life. But I'll tell you this. I would not have asked that man for anything. Nothing. I would have rather suffered and kept my mouth shut no matter what it was, how big or how small, than ask that man for anything. Now here's the difference. My own dad. I know that there isn't anything that I can't bring to my own dad no matter how big or how small and he will not want to help me in the most loving and best for me way that he possibly can. And my dad is limited. But our God, our Father, is not limited And we have to remember that we're approaching a loving father who gave it all. And it's not based on our perfection. See, what it's based on is do you trust in Jesus' perfection for you? Our new position because of the cross, because Jesus, the hero of all heroes, came to rescue us is this. This is what we take away. We have been redeemed to be sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters with the rights of sons. Some of you have spent too long being satisfied just being a slave. Like the prodigal son who said, just just make me a servant, just make me a slave, that's all I deserve. But yet his father had so much more for him. Our father, because of his grace and his mercy, has so much in store for us, for his children. And you know, all that we experience in this life is just a scratch on the surface of all that he is going to show us in his love and his kindness for the ages to come. But you know, the greatest thing that we have because we have been redeemed, it is Jesus himself. He's the treasure. He is what no one and nothing in this life can ever compare to. And because of our redemption, we get him. We get him. That is incredible news. We have been redeemed from sin and death and hell. And we have been redeemed to the greatest joy that we can imagine, that we have been made his child. Aaron Ivey says this, But God in his kindness saw me and adopted me into his family, changed my past, changed my future, changed everything about me. We have been adopted. You have been adopted. If you know Christ, you're not a slave. You're not an orphan. This truth changes everything for us. Let us leave here not just knowing this truth, but let us live like it is true. And this is so important. Let us now praise him like we know the cost to make this true. That we know the cost of what it took to purchase us, to buy us back, to redeem us as his own. Let's pray. Father God, words fail to thank you for your incredible amount of mercy and grace in our life. That you didn't just rescue us and that was it. You you brought us home and you made us your child. And that you will lavish on us your love and your affection for all eternity. And I thank you that we get Jesus. We get the most beautiful, undeserved thing unimaginable that we can ever ask or think of. And I pray for each person in this room that you would give them just a very deep understanding of what it means that they are a child now. Of what it means that they have been adopted For all of you in the room who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, like we said, it's not about what you do, it's about what he has done for you. And the the gospel rescue story is this, that Jesus came being fully man and fully God, and he died in our place, taking our sin and our shame and giving us new life, giving us access to God, restoring relationships that have been broken because of sin. And it comes through faith. In believing that what he did, he did it for you and it is as simple as just crying out to him and say Jesus forgive me of my sin I believe that you came for me I believe that you died and rose again in my place now would you just take my life in your hands and lead me and one day you will lead me home to you again God we thank you for your unending grace and mercy we thank you that we have been redeemed unto sons and daughters we love you and praise you In the precious name of Jesus, amen.